everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. This week's episode features the format of older mini-episodes of Attendance Bias. So for any new listeners out there, this means that today's episode is shorter than usual, there is no guest, and that means that I'm telling a story about a show that I've been to, or at least today, a jam that I've witnessed. That jam today focuses on Fish's performance of Carini into Wolfman's Brother from December 28, 1998 at Madison Square Garden. 364 days passed between my first and second Fish show. My first was December 29, 1997, and my second was December 28, 1998, both of them at Madison Square Garden. Nowadays, that would seem like an absurd amount of wait time, but for a 15-year-old, unlicensed, living-at-home with limited entertainment funds high school junior, it was just the way things were. And at that point, the tradition of traveling far and wide cross-country to follow fish was an option that was simply unavailable to me. I just figured at that time, well, fish isn't in my town, so I guess I'll wait until they are. And when they announced this four-show run at Madison Square Garden, I was ready. In the year between my first and second show, I got really deep into fish. I bought The Fishing Manual by Dean Budnick. I read it cover to cover. Incidentally, the cover fell off my copy years and years ago. I read The Farmer's Almanac, Volumes 4 and 5. It became a fixture next to my bed. I listened to a live one over and over again, and I took the train to Prime Cuts, a head shop in Rockville Center, and blew all of my money there. If you want to hear more about Prime Cuts, I recorded an episode about five weeks ago or so that really goes into detail about this super special head shop and the space it occupied in the minds and ears of probably thousands of fans throughout the 80s and 90s. But most importantly, I discovered the indispensable fish.net for setlist updates and discussion. So when the Doniak Schweiss came around that fall, I requested an order for all four nights of this holiday run. The previous year, 1997, when I was new, I was hesitant to see the same band two nights in a row because I knew very little about them. But this time, I wanted to see the full run. A few weeks later, when the Day of Reckoning arrived, I received tickets to three out of the four nights. No New Year's show. I was disappointed. I could remember opening the envelope, but I was far from bummed. Plus, the tickets for this year looked awesome. Uh, The show dates were spray-painted onto the side of a subway train. It was very New York. And 1998 was a year full of stellar jams, amazing shows, and sometimes with really odd and sometimes meaningful cover songs, I was ready for anything leading into this 1998 holiday run. I was in full noob mode. I was ready to hear anything they wanted to play. So when the show started, I remember the crowd cheer when the lights went down for set one on the night of the 28th. I literally remember thinking to myself, this is what it sounds like at the beginning of a live one. They opened the whole run with Axela, and it hit me hard. I was dancing and jumping for joy at the next few songs. And then in the middle of the first set, they had a mini stage with an acoustic set. It was a real treat that I wish I appreciated more in real time. Because aside from Festival 8 in 2009, it's become a really true special rarity to see or hear acoustic fish. The rest of set one featured some repeats from my first show, and I was thrilled to hear them all. The first two songs of the second set, though, Carini and Wolfman's Brother, 
were the first time that I felt a now familiar sensation. In the middle of those jams, I forgot what song was being played or how they even got there. It was my first truly psychedelic experience at a show, and I remember the dreamy space and atmosphere the band created at the beginning of this second set. One might argue that being present at a fish show is akin to Zen Buddhism, in that the ultimate goal is to completely forget everything around you, to let your ego melt into the atmosphere. In layman's terms, I guess, of which I am one, you can call this surrendering to the flow, but there is a lot more to it in practice, I think. It'll sound cheesy, but the best part about fish for me when it gets to that place is when you become one with the music and you just let your surroundings disappear. Of course, it's much easier said than done, and it doesn't happen very often because there's plenty to be aware of at a fish show. Kuroda's lights, there's the smells, the sequins of the dresses around you, the glowing costumes, and God knows what else. But every once in a while, once in a blue moon maybe, the physiological portal opens and everything around you really does melt away. You're not even aware of your neighbors, you don't know about the smoke, Uh, the lights disappear from your view, the chatter disappears from your hearing, and sometimes even the stage itself just becomes part of the furniture. You're vibing with the music on such a deep and connected level that you don't even remember where or how it all began or how you got there. And the first time this happened to me was at this show, December 28th, 1998 at MSG. The second set opening with a 40-minute sequence of Karini into Wolfman's brother transported me completely to another planet. When Karini opened the second set, there was a gigantic cheer from the crowd, which is kind of interesting in retrospect, because the song was still kind of new stateside. It was mostly played on the 1997 Europe tour, although by now I guess most of the crowd had gotten used to it, although I was really getting deep into 1993 to 1995 Fish. I wasn't really up on what was being played recently. Still, it's now fun to hear some of the old lyrics, and it hit me like a ton of bricks at the time. It was as if Led Zeppelin's spirit had been captured and then exhausted by fish.
around three minutes into the jam, you could hear how excited the band is with whoops and screams. When the jam out of the chorus kicks off, it's as if all of 1998 was being dumped out of a bucket onto the audience. I don't always describe Mike's bass playing as nimble, but he is all over the place here. While Trey pours on his classic tone, it's somewhere between the center of the Venn diagram of dissonant, loud, buzzed, processed, unstoppable, and psychedelic all at once. And that's just the first two minutes of this jam. Fisher spent most of their modern years learning patience, democratic playing, and dynamics, then the end of 1998 was everything at full throttle. You can hear it at about five minutes that they're not holding anything back. I've compared Fish to Godzilla on a rampage before, and it feels like it again here during the first part of Carini. It's led by Fishman and Trey, but the whole band is out and taking no prisoners here.
about eight minutes of Carini, things settled down into a gentle drone, hinting at what was to come in the calendar year of 1999. For all of the insanity that was exploding on stage, all four members are actually quiet, impressively quiet, and delicate, if not totally cohesive in a central sound. This clip, taken in isolation, makes it hard to believe that this band was just kicking ass and sold out four consecutive nights at MSG. I often use the phrase planetarium fish to describe this facet of their sound, and it seems appropriate here. said it before and i'll say it again thank goodness for john fishman this was just my second show and most of my tapes like i mentioned were classics from the early and mid 90s when soundboards were not too hard to come by so as a result i wasn't too up on what more recent fish sounded like i was still busy working my way through 1995 and 96 so when the band went completely off the reservation into type 2 jamming about 12 minutes in I needed something to grab onto because my mind wasn't prepared for this, and Fishman's symbol work provided me with that life raft. If they played this jam today, I would be enthralled. Back then, when I was a noob, it was a lot to process all at once.
And just like that, by 14 minutes, a new rhythm and melody forms with just two minutes left in this monstrous jam. I was so glad to feel something familiar and get my body moving again. It gets fairly funky before slowing to a complete stop as the band decides collectively it's time for something completely different. Something Different is Wolfman's brother, and oddly, the crowd doesn't give an extended cheer at the end of Carini or at the beginning of Wolfman's. Today, a jam like that would be met with rapturous applause. I guess back then, we were still a little less self-aware as a fan base, just leaning forward to hear what was going to come next instead of being so on top of every moment in real time. You know, we weren't checking Twitter for people's opinions as the show was being played. The crowd waited for the looping Wolfman's Brother chorus to give that big cheer right before the jam launched off. It's fun how this Wolfman's brother perfectly encapsulates the fluidity that was one of the defining traits of 1998 Fish. Sure, there was ambience and great rock and roll peaks, but I think one of my favorite memories of listening to shows from 98 was the confidence that flowed in Fish's sound, both in their jams and in their songs. They're not at supersonic speeds with their composed sections like in 96, nor were they at super slow funk like they were in 97. In 98, they were more mid-tempo, great improv rock. 
Sometimes simplicity shines through and makes her the best. That straight steadiness lasts for a few glorious minutes before the band quiets down for a bit of sparse playing to recalibrate the jam. At about 10 minutes and 15 seconds, they get into a funky groove. It reminded me of something from Band of Gypsies, Jimi Hendrix's great live album. In the background, I'm not sure who's doing it, but someone is scratching and causing shrieks as the band locks into this head-bopping groove. It sure sounds like Trey, and maybe he put that great guitar riff on the loop for the band to vamp. But whatever they did, or whatever Trey did, whoever, it worked. love where they find themselves at the 14 minute mark of this wolfman's brother page is slowly integrating the synthesizer back into the jam as fishman plays a delicate timekeeping beat with gordon to back him up meanwhile trey's never far away but he's never too dominant just noodling over the top fishman even riles up a few fills but this is page's section all the way
jam comes to a close, things do start to get messy. Trey repurposes the funk siren and the sound begins to sound more like a downtown police chase near a construction site instead of a rock show in midtown Manhattan. The crowd eats it up and loves it, myself included. By the end of this epic sequence, the band doesn't suddenly segue into something new, or they don't peak again. Rather, they end this huge jam like a giant machine slowly powering down like a transformer, or a giant turbine slowing to a stop. Fishman and Mike do keep a jazzy beat flowing in the last two minutes, but the writing is on the wall that things are closing up on this Wolfman's brother. Even if I couldn't remember by this point that Karini and Wolfman started the whole thing, I was in... Total outer space bliss. Karini seemed like a million years ago, and the future was completely open.
Now, these days, it is particularly notable when the band stretches a jam near or past the 20-minute mark, and jams that clock in at those times definitely deserve attention. But in the closing years of 1.0, the band would have no trouble stretching a jam past the point of no return, and this was the first time that I was completely enveloped, and it made me forget about nearly everything that came before it. Granted, I shouldn't get too excited, it was only my second show. But if the Fish experience is a mansion with a surprise behind every door, the experience of the rest of the show melting away and being present in the moment was a threshold I hadn't crossed, a room I hadn't yet entered, until this pairing of Carini and Wolfman's. It would happen many times thereafter, but you always sort of remember your first. And that's it for today's episode of Attendance Bias. I'd like to thank Fish.net for providing all the information, Fish.in for the solid recording that was used in today's episode, and everyone else for listening. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please support the show by leaving a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app. Please also reach out to me on social media, especially on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Say hi, and I'll send you a free sticker. Thank you all again so much for listening, and I'll see you next week on Attendance Bias.